Good morning. Welcome to Touch Heaven, Touch Heaven. And uh, those of you here for the first time, welcome. Uh, we invite you to take something with you when you leave. But take a chair if that's all you can get. But we'd rather, rather something spiritual, a little morsel. Those online, thank you. Those who will be online, bless you. And uh, let's just cover this in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, to continue to give us the revelation of the glimpse of the glory and the crossing of the threshold. Father, let us put ourselves in the time and the place that we're supposed to be in, in our spirit and in our minds, and equip us to do what we're called to do, even at such a time in the moment, but with and through the eternal spirit. We bless you, Father. Let everything that's said and done be unto your glory, your edification. And Father, let the word be true, grounded in the firm word of God, even with present, fresh, future revelation. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. We're on part five of a series that started off as crossing the threshold. And I'm not going to give an overview of the whole thing other than to say that last week was a, a powerful foundation with some revelation about the glory and the actual impartation and activation of glory a little bit more than just an emotion just as a a something that we get excited about glory is indeed the very essence of god and in scripture we hear about substance glory is the substance of what we know of the persona of god the father god the son and god the holy ghost their whole union their whole ministration Everything that they do is about the glory. And we could weave that time not ending from the very beginning of the scriptures in Genesis to the very last scripture in the book of Revelation. The one thing is I re-listened to last week's, last night and this morning, just to get myself in the continuity of what it is, because these are going to be presented as a series, and not just for us here, but for those everywhere and anywhere that'll take it, including our leadership institution. Um, I say this humbly, but I say it boldly, there's no such teaching as this anywhere else in the earth. There's none. Uh, You could look all you want, buy all the glory books you want, you're not gonna find it. It's because it's been a revelation that's been pouring out since 1980, and it's released for such a time as this, and those who grab it will grab it, and those who don't, they won't. Many have misused and not misunderstood the glory. Some are still calling for the future glory. Some are referring to glory as if glory is just another move of God or just another characteristic of God, not understanding it's the very holy essence of God himself. And so there's moments of glory, moments of the clouds that we understand the clouds of glory, And one of the reasons why the Lord visits in clouds of glory is because humanity can't contain the glory of God. Many say if they looked upon the face of the Lord, they wouldn't live. And uh, because the face of the Lord is the substance and essence, as best we can tell, of the glory of God. So I want to just read something out of Ezekiel to start with, and then we're going to go to the book of Hebrews, believe it or not. And today, I prayed for the Lord to allow me to operate in the offices of the pastor, the teacher, and and the uh, apostolic. Uh, 
And so we're going to see how that all blends together, but that's what's required. If we look in Ezekiel and we go back to chapter, <clears throat> chapter 10, and I want to start in verse 1, and we're going to be reading about five verses. Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 1. And I looked, and there in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubim, there appeared something like a sapphire stone having the appearance of the likeness of a throne. Stop. Now, what Ezekiel got was glimpses of the appearances of what the heavenly realm is like, and we understand that that has been recreated by the word of the Lord on earth according to the law of Moses. And so what he was doing, if you will, was creating for himself a comfortable place, a place in the inner holy of holies that the Lord couldn't be contained in, but he was manifest from. So you understand that. You know, some still want to find the Ark of the Covenant and expect to find a semblance of God in there. Now, if they were able to find it, I'm sure that just like Elijah's bones gave uh, life to the, the poor soul that was thrown in the grave, so would that give, give life because it can never stop. But it was a semblance, a resemblance of what is in the heavenly place. All it was was earthly similitudes. Why? Because the Lord wanted to not only explain himself through the elements, which is another teaching of what was in the, the outer side. Let's just look for a moment at the outer court, the uh, <clears throat> inner court, and the Holy of Holies. I asked for a graph. Let's see if we've got one. And in that instance, as we know, this grew. And this became something that, well, it's, it's not too descriptive. I can't see it too well. But any regard, you could see the box in the middle is your inner Holy of Holies. The outside is your outer court. And, and then you come into the inner court. I think I could explain it better than, well, there you go. It's a little better. <laughs> there you go. You come in from the outside into the inner court and from the inner court into the Holy of Holies. The outer court, of course, was where anybody really could go to. Gentiles that didn't know the Lord were okay in the outer court. Servants that served people were okay in the outer court. Now, once you came into the inner court, that was reserved for those that were priests. And that was reserved for them to come in and out of at certain times. But then they would enter the inner court. And when they entered the inner court, it was for specific ministration. That was once a year, uh, as you would go into the Holy of Holies, for what? For, for the atonement of sin. The atonement of sin. All the rest of it was in addition to but it wasn't for the atonement of sin. There was no atonement of sin in the outer court. In the inner court, you needed to have sacrifice, and then the sacrifice was poured out, and then finally, on the day of, of, of redemption, the day of atonement, it would be poured out on the altar, the blood, the blood. And it was only a similitude of things, correct? And so what the Lord did was God Almighty, through Moses, created a something that was familiar and similar to, if you will, his heavenly residence. And so that was the way he wanted to manifest from. Now let's just keep our eye on that a moment and go on to the scripture. Oh, there we go. That's a little better than what I was looking at up there. Oh, I see. You did. That is better. That's terrible. 
That's really dim, but that's good. And so we could see the cloud coming forth from the inner holy of holies, and, the, and, and, and this artist's rendition is that this is the, the uh, connection to the throne room up above, and you could see where the sacrifices are happening outside the, uh, the, the uh, holy of holies, and then finally on the day of atonement taken inside. Now, back to Ezekiel 10, starting in verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubim, there appeared something like a sapphire stone, having the appearance of the likeness of a throne. Now, Ezekiel's vision is not this. Ezekiel is piercing through the heavens, and the Lord's allowing him to see something that's much greater, much more, because Ezekiel became a minister of the glory a carrier of the glory. And even he didn't understand fully what he was doing or what he was called to do, but a lot of what Ezekiel gave us and what John picked up on, and even Isaiah, is, is imparted to us for such a time as this. How many of you know that there's many prophetic nuggets in the Word of God that really didn't make sense even to the prophets that, that, that prophesied them? Isaiah had no clue of everything he was prophesying. John, in Revelation, he didn't have an understanding about anything. He tried to explain things like wasps and different, because he had no understanding. He, he was probably referring to what we know as war machines today as horses and chariots because he had no understanding of tanks or missiles or any of that kind of stuff. And, and this was their, their attempt to try and explain what they saw, which was supernatural, that crossed a dimension and it crossed a time. So he says, I look and I see this likeness of a throne. Next verse. Then he spoke to the man clothed with linen and said, now we discussed that in Ezekiel 9 in our last two meetings that, the man, that linen is an understanding, a fine linen is an understanding of righteousness. That gives us the idea of righteousness. And John got it in Revelation 19 when he said we would receive robes of fine linen and this is the righteousness of the saints. So whenever we see linen, we understand that that's the righteousness of God. So then he spoke to the man clothed with linen, clothed in righteousness. Now, I explained to you sometime last week that there's different uh, interpretations or people trying to determine who is the man clothed with linen. Well, some say it could be an angel, some say it could be a cherubim, but after I study it more, I believe it's Jesus himself clothed in righteousness. And it sort of lines up and makes sense with the ministration of the glory. So the man clothed in linen said, go in among the wheels under the cherub. Now, these are cherubim. And actually, there's four or six that we have discussions of in Scripture. And in this, the Lord had determined that on this, this is all gold that was crusted so that in the Law of Moses and in their interpretation of the Ark of the Covenant, there were cherubim that were over what would be the manifestation of the glory of God. So we understand now, as Ezekiel tells us, what the real, the real posture in heaven is, that there are real cherubim. And those cherubim are ministers of the glory of God. They carry the glory of God. And he says, go in among the wheels under the cherubim. Now the wheels we spoke about also, and those wheels were massive and they're non-dimensional, which we can't still explain. 
We don't know anything that exists that can go in all directions at once without being directional. And the wheels are enormous and they have eyes on them that go to and fro and look all over the earth. And those wheels is what he said, and he saw there were wheels that were churning, like a wheel inside of a wheel, and almost like a gyroscope that had a gyroscope inside of a gyroscope. And it was non-dimensional. That's what we want to understand. It had no friction. It had no restraint from direction. It didn't care about the north from the south or the east from the west. It didn't need to worry about a left turn or right turn or up and down. It was able to just wherever the wheels would go, they would go because the glory of the Lord is the force of the wheels. The glory of the Lord is the force of the wheels. And he said to the, the man clothed in linen said, or spoke to the man clothed in linen, go in among the wheels under the cherub, fill your hands with coals of fire from among the cherubim and scatter them over the city. You see, I believe that even angels cannot entertain the fullness of the glory of God. And I know there's not a person alive that can, even though some would like to feel they can, right? And I stated last week that I don't believe we're going to experience the fullness of God until we're in that dimension. And when we're in that dimension, we'll know him because we'll be just like him, right? That's why we can't know him in the fullness of his glory right now. We need to be in that eternal dimension. We need to be in that place. So, the man clothed in linen, let's refer to possibly as our, our Savior, he goes in and he gets the coals of the fire from among the cherubim and scatter them over the city. Now, in this particular prophecy, he's talking about the judgment of Jerusalem. But remember, a lot of prophecy has multiple applications. And so the application of a prophecy 2,000 years ago can apply to today and tomorrow if its function lines up with it. And that's the prophetic word. Why? Because the word is living and eternal. So a real prophetic word that's released doesn't have an expiration date. Hmm doesn't have an expiration date. A lot of things have expiration dates, right? Moments have expiration dates. The moment you're in right now is history, this moment, and the next moment. So our challenge is what? To live in the moment, do what God has called us to do, but as we've been seeking with a timeless mindset, a mindset that's beyond the moment that we're in and is reaching to the place that looks like the throne above that has no dimensional restrictions. None whatsoever. And while we can't fully walk in that freedom, we can surely walk in a semblance of that freedom. And we can live by that kind of word and reach beyond our circumstances and reach into substance which is not seen, substance which is not seen, but which becomes evident when it manifests. Right? That's the word. Scripture. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance of things hope for, the evidence of which is not seen. That's why faith is so important. That's why faith is one of the languages that God wants to speak in because it's how he manifests what's in heaven on earth. We discussed that, you know, you hear his voice like rushing waters. We'll get into that again in a moment. And he spoke and he said, go in between the wheels, even under the cherub, and fill your hands with coals of fire, from between the cherubim and scatter them over the city, and he went in my sight. Now the cherubims stood 
on the south side of the temple. And the better interpretation is they stood on the right side of the temple. The right side of the temple. And that would be the ministration of our Lord. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's the King of glory. So this is a better understanding. What Ezekiel saw was where the King of glory resides in the throne room and where he ministers from, on the right side of the house. And when the man went in and the cloud filled the inner court. So the man went in and what he saw then wasn't because the man went in, but now he saw the inner court. And the, outer court, and the inner court was filled with the cloud of glory. Why? Because if Ezekiel would have looked upon the glory, Ezekiel would have been snuffed. He'd have been gone. So he was in the cloud. And that's why when Jesus had his first uh, ascension, it was what? In the cloud of glory. And he went up in the cloud of glory, and it says, just as you saw him go, so shall he return. And it tells us in Romans, he shall return in Romans 6, 4, in the glory of the Father. He's going to come back in the glory of the Father. So we understand the glory connections here. So the cloud fills the inner court. Next verse. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherubim, up from the cherubim, and paused over the threshold. And that's why we've been working with crossing the threshold. The, the, the glory went up from the cherubim, from ground zero, from the source. And it paused over the threshold. It means it was getting ready to traverse from the inside of the threshold, the inner court, the Holy of Holies, to the outside of the threshold. Paused over the threshold of the temple, and the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. What's he talking about now? He's talking about the inner court. The inner court of what we can only understand from the graphic we have of how man built the temple that God told us how to build, told Moses how to build it. There's an inner court. And that inner court is a place where I would assume a lot of it is, remember in Revelation, John said, I saw millions, and he didn't know how to talk, countless saints, countless people worshiping the Lord. They're, out in, the, they're in the inner court. We're going to be able to worship in the inner court. Don't get some mis. Uh, understanding for yourself that you're going to reside in the Holy of Holies. You can go in and out of the Holy of Holies, but you don't reside there. That's where the Holy Lord resides there, right? And we're not supposed to uh, sit and challenge the things that God's already accomplished for us by going boldly into the throne room and asking him to do what he's already done, right? We'll get into that a little bit more too. So there's the inner court. Now the cloud of glory is over the inner court, and the court was full of the brightness, the brightness of the Lord's glory. Notice that he didn't say was filled with just the glory, but what he was seeing in the Greek is called apisgamo. And apisgamo is also out of Hebrews. And what it means is it's the shadow of Christ. Christ was the apisgamo, the flash. The image of the living God is what we saw in Christ, the apisgamo. Because if we'd have seen the fullness of the glory, the apostles would have been snuffed because they couldn't contain that glory. So they saw the apisgamo. What he was seeing was the apisgamo. He was seeing the reflection of the brightness of the glory that he knew was in the cloud, but the cloud was protecting him, right? Moses, I, I want to see your glory. Moses, I'll show you my backside. You can't look at the glory. You can't look, look me in the face, Moses. I know you want to, but if I did, I'd kill you right now. 
you can't do that. And so the house was filled with the cloud and the court was full of the brightness of the glory. Where, <clears throat> let's, let's go way back. Now we all understand that there was a, a great arch cherub. And the arch cherub sang wondrously. Probably like a choir and a symphony, all based into one. He was gifted to have all the attributes to worship the Lord God Almighty. But he made a mistake. And his mistake was he wanted to be like God. And then because of his influence and because he had uh, oversight over many angels, he was able to talk at least a third of them into his plot and his strategy to try and overthrow the throne room. He was in the inner court. He wasn't in the Holy of Holies. He was in the inner court. And he got thrown out of the inner court. And then he was allowed to, and still is, allowed to, to go romp around the earth right now and wherever else he goes in the celestial bodies, I have no idea. And so we understand that the Holy of Holies is untouchable. But we can enter into the throne room not in our, not in our flesh. We enter in in the spirit. You understand? But we try to personalize what God has given us that is spirit into flesh. We want to go into God in the flesh and we want to adjudicate issues. We want to go into the court of heaven and then enter the Holy of Holies to talk to him about what he's already done. And that's how people think they get resolutions. I don't know. Or, on the other hand, you know, we want to go back in and find some sprinkling of the blood and take it out and pray it over everything from dogs to chairs to cars to cats to whatever, right? We call it pleading the blood. Number one, we're not supposed to plead anymore. Pleading was cut a, cut a mark was before the book of Matthew and the Gospels. Pleading and begging is what a servant does. Yes, we serve the good Lord, but we're children of God. We're new creation. And we're supposed to declare the word of God, not beg and plead. So there's mis misfunctions in the pleading of the blood. One is, if you've got to plead, you need some more faith and you need understanding of the, of the Lord, right? If you're begging God, then you need to. Now, I don't say I don't rep, uh, repeat some prayers to the Lord, especially when I'm really plying in, but I'm not begging God, I'm declaring, declaring, declaring. Number one, it ministers to my spirit, right? To your spirit. I'm not saying don't pray, it ministers to our spirit. And it's a voice with God, and it's prayer. But I don't expect because that sometimes I plead and I'm screaming out or crying or prone on the floor or whatever it is that I'm making any greater impact to God than I do by my faith and declaration of the word of God. So back to it, the house was filled with the cloud and the court was full of the brightness, the brightness, the brightness of the Lord's glory. Jesus, the image of God, the brightness of the image of the Father. Next. And the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard in the outer court like the voice of Almighty God when he speaks. Notice the wings. <laughs> God's into wings. You know, when he sent a dove in the spirit, how did the dove come? It was the spirit that descended upon Jesus. Wings, you know, fly like an eagle. Wings, cherubim, wings. Now, some people get crazy. They say God's winged. Some also say he's a woman. 
you know, people want to conform God to who they think he is. All I know is he said, let us make male and female, let us make them in our image. So guess what? Male, female, we're all in the image of God. And I don't know that God's wearing lipstick and a dress, and I don't know that he's wearing timberland boots and an axe. All I know is we're made in the image of God, right? And I think we should leave it at that. I think we should leave it at that. And I don't think God made a mistake when he decided man and woman. I don't think he made a mistake of not putting a bunch of in, you know, variations in between of maybe male, maybe female, maybe half and half, maybe you feel like a cat or a dog. Or I don't think God made a mistake. He said that every kind bring forth its own kind. And very interestingly, for God to recreate and to give us the opportunity not to create man and woman, but to recreate man and woman in, in His image, He gave us both male and female, and it requires both male and female and what they're equipped with to recreate a woman, a a, a girl, or a boy in the image of God. Anytime people begin to mess with that, they're messing with the glory, the brightness, the image of God. You understand how dangerous that is? And, And that's the kind of stuff that brings the judgment of God. So we're not, we're not just playing politics and social affairs here in this woke or whatever society you want to call it. I don't even know what to call it other than sick and degenerated when we get into that stuff. And, and the reason being is, is because what we're doing is challenging God himself. And so if somebody says, well, you don't understand, that's my emotions, that's how I feel. I understand emotions and I also stand what you feel isn't reality. You can feel anything. It's not necessarily reality, right? In fact, most of the times, empirical relationships, that's, that's, that's relationships that rely upon the senses and rely upon circumstances and the environment, they'll mislead you completely, completely. You'll never see a miracle if you can't get beyond your problem. You'll never see one. If all you see is your problem, albeit no matter how serious it is, You're going to have a hard time seeing a miracle unless somebody else sees it for you. Because your reality is one that doesn't believe or can't handle the supernatural of God. But when we understand that dimension and the laws of God, then we understand those things are ordained of God. We'll get into that in a moment about a testament. So the wings of the cherub and the voice of Almighty God when he speaks. Next verse. Then it happened when he commanded the man clothed in linen saying, Take fire from among the wheels from among the cherub, and then he went and stood beside the wheels. The wheels ministered the glory. And the wheels are a ministration of the glory. Now, again, I get very cautious about making absolutes when it comes down to the glory. Uh, You know, I've been studying, praying, fasting, seeking the knowledge of the glory of God since a visitation God gave me as a young puppy in the Lord, only in the Lord four weeks, five weeks. And I had a command about the glory. And I knew there was an anointing and I knew the time would come, so I've been pressing and pressing and pressing. And the only thing I can understand about the, the, the wheels and that the fact that the wheels uh, received and, and they went with the glory and stood beside the wheels is the wheels must be the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of glory, right? Romans 8. 
uh, 8.10, if the spirit of glory, 8.11, if, if that spirit of glory resides in you, then the same spirit that rose him from the dead will quicken your mortal bodies. You see, it's a quickening spirit. And the glory is quickening. It brings life. It can also bring death if, if the temple of the place is not prepared to receive it. Now, when we were praying this morning out here, and Walt led us in prayer, one of his prayers was, Lord, don't let us be those who bring a strange incense to your throne room. Didn't it happen to the sons of Aaron? They had the rightful right to be priests. They were entrusted with God with the most important thing he could give anybody here on earth to minister in the glory of God. But they went to the throne room with a strange incense. And when they did, they immediately died because they were trying to create their own sacrifice to God, and that was not what God said was, was his obedience. God told everybody exactly what you do. He gave a command, if you do this, this will happen. And he also let them know, if you don't do this, this will happen. And so today, because of the grace of God, we find many in the house of God and many who say they believe in God and call themselves Christians that are worshiping and sacrificing a strange incense to God. It can get from one extreme to a, a lesser extreme. One extreme, we talked about the Episcopalian bishop leader in England who came out and said, we don't want to call him father anymore, a race father, because that's not inclusive. It doesn't include all those who feel that he's mother or that don't want, have, 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 have an offense with a father. <laughs> you know, the father is the one who helps us to overcome offenses. So he's drawing a fence to keep in the offenses. That's, that's an extreme measure. That's one who knows much. He should know much. If he became the supreme archbishop, of the ecumenical church, I mean of the Episcopalian church in England, he should have at least read his Bible one time. So unto him much is judged. And unto others who begin to pervert the, the word of God, we've had fractures, we've lived to see them in the last 10, 20 years, of denominations where some want to allow there to be homosexuality at the, at the pulpit and others don't, and some want there allowed to be uh, uh, marijuana, in, uh, with the youth groups, and some don't. And, and there's been fractions, I could go on and on, where they've split because of the lack of the truth. And that's a division in the body of Christ. And we understand from that, that you know, God is, 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 is starting judgment in the house of God. And he's pulling things apart. You see, God is holy. And if you don't understand the holiness of God, then, then, then there's no fear of God. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding and wisdom. If someone doesn't fear God, then no matter how smart they are, how many degrees they have, no matter what arguments they want to bring up, they don't have wisdom. And the opposite of not having wisdom is being ignorant. Sorry, but that's a fact. Now, ignorance of the things of God, God can have excuses and grace for, but he says, to whom much is given, much is required. So we can choose to rebel against God, and rebellion is sin. And rebellion leads to death 
and eternal death. You see, we need to start preaching the Word of God like it's supposed to be preached. I could pussyfoot it, and, you know, I won't get a bunch of emails telling me how I'm, I'm, I'm not sensitive enough and not inclusive enough. But I'll be honest with you, I take God's Word very clearly. He said, unto whom much is given, much is required. I don't have an option. You don't have an option but to preach the truth of God and serve the truth of God. We don't have options. You're not going to change God's laws. And you're not going to touch His holiness. And we're not going to tell Him what glory and holiness are. We have to fear God, and that's the beginning of the wisdom. And once we fear God, then we're not ignorant anymore as long as we begin to obey God. The demons fear God. <coughs> they don't obey God. Satan fears God. Don't believe he's fearless. He's not fearless. He got his hiney kicked down in hell when Jesus resurrected. He knows what a good butt whooping feels like. But he's got a bigger one coming. And this one's going to chain him and chain him into the depths of hell forevermore. And he knows that he's been unable to pervert the Word of God, but he's been able to pervert the people of God, but not the Word of God. And, you know, just like any system, whether it's military, sports, whatever we're called to, it's next, next man, next woman up. Somebody's not getting it right, goes, God goes to the next one. Next man, next woman up. He'll still do a work in the one who's rebellious and falling, but he's not going to entrust that one to take his people to the next place. Next man up, next woman up. That's the ranks. That's Ziklag. That's the call to Ziklag that I preached on six, seven years ago. God calling people together who knew the time they lived in and were working in rank and order to do what they need to do. And so he went in and stood beside the wheels. I'm going to stop right there. And I want to shift into the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. <clears throat> Since I mentioned to you that I had prayed to be able to operate in the anointing of the pastor, of course, always, the teacher, which is my passion, and the apostolic, which is a calling. I wish to give you a little insight on the book of Hebrews. Now, I've mentioned to you multiple times that my inclination is that Paul most likely wrote Hebrews. Now, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. We don't. It's one of those books that we really don't have an author and a time and place of. But we know what it's like. It's called Hebrews because it was first written in Hebrew. <laughs> Paul was, was skilled in Hebrew and Greek. Equally skilled. Not many were. Another one that was equally skilled was Luke. Now some think that Luke could have written Hebrews because Luke takes a very an approach to things that is, is very structured and somewhat analytical because that's how he was trained. Luke the physician, that's how he was trained. He was trained to have both a scientific look at everything and then be able to also, as the Lord gave him revelation, to expand that into another dimension. Could be Luke, it could have been Luke because in several places in Hebrews he says, that's how he dealt with us instead of saying me. That's how he deals with us, he was saying. And whoever it was, they were certainly influenced by Paul because they got his revelations. 
and they put them in there. Some say it could have been Priscilla. She spent a lot of time with Paul, and we're told she too was very skilled in both languages, Hebrew and Greek. Priscilla was a, a, a prophetess of that day, and potentially, if people were giving titles out that went to women in that day, also an apostle. She, she operated with apostolic authority, precision, knowledge, and power. That's an apostle. And she had a sphere of influence, and that sphere of influence continued after Paul. Some say it could have been Ananias. Some say uh, Barnabas. I don't think Barnabas because he and Paul parted their ways, and we never hear about Barnabas having his own book and having the same apostolic Pauline revelation that Paul had. So I'll leave it at this. I know Paul's got his fingerprints all over it. If it was Luke 2, then Luke is next to Jesus, and, uh, and, and then Paul, he has the third most books in the New Testament, would be Luke. I'm just giving you that so, so you have some background, just interesting stuff. But in the book of Hebrews, I one time taught the graduate class, graduate school, Bible school, the advanced book of Hebrews. It was a delightful time for me. It took half a year. And I analyzed every word, every word in the cross transmission of the Hebrew and the Greek and the English. And I challenged myself on every one of them. And it began to enlighten me and let me understand more how the Lord coordinates all this together. It's a brilliant, brilliant exegesis on, on the things of Lord, exegesis on the things of God. And it begins to put the pieces together when you get it. So I want to I just deal with some of it right now. And we're not in a hurry. We'll just deal with what we can, although we've got a good start. And for example, Hebrews 1, 3, the sun is the radiance. And that word is apogosma, the Greek, of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So if you will, that's why I think Paul had his fingerprints on that part, because Paul understood the, the law and the prophets. He was training to become the chief rabbi of Jerusalem under Gamaliel. Gamaliel. And so he was the, he was the star student, because he was so equipped. He was bright. And, 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 and most of the, of the uh, character, characterizations of him that we get, he was a short guy. And he wasn't pleasant to look at. And uh, might have had a squeaky voice. It never said Paul had a very good speaking voice, by the way. Not like Peter. Peter had a booming voice. You know, but he, had, he, he just, that's why he said, you know, when I'm weak, I'm strong. God took a, a weak looking vessel who was bright and turned him into the strongest uh, teacher of the New Testament aside from Jesus Christ. That's God. God likes to do things with small places and make them big. He likes to start from the wilderness and expand around the world. He, likes, he wants to start with a handful of people and show his glory. He doesn't want to jump into uh, the business of the ministry. <laughs> if only major ministries could understand that the, the, the thing that they're passionate for and wanting for, they by themselves in their own actions are causing the Lord to resist them. 
because he doesn't want anybody to get his glory. He doesn't want any ministry to be the ministry. He doesn't want anything to steal his glory, but he's looking for that brightness. And so the brightness, when it says in Hebrews 1.3, the radiance, the real word is apogospo, and it means the brightness. But how about this in Colossians 1.15.17, the letter to the Colossians from Paul, the sun is the image, <laughs> the apogosmo of the invisible God. Same correlation. For in him, in him all things were created, and in him all things hold together. And I could go on and on. There's a correlation in Hebrews and Philippians, and <clears throat> this one in Philippians is pretty good because Hebrews 2 14 through 17 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. But what did, what did uh, Paul write to the Philippians in 2, chapter 2, 7 through 8? Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that interpretation of humbling himself, we discussed again last week, is the Greek word ikonis. And ikonis means to just split somebody wide open. It's to debow them in the physical. So Jesus debowed himself of what? The glory. So that he could step into the body of a human being because in the fullness of his glory, can't happen. Can't contain it. Can't contain it. And so we'll go forward, but I wanna jump now on to on to uh, Hebrews 9 starting in verse 1 then indeed even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service in the earthly sanctuary. Now, ordinances refers to the laws of God. So the first covenant, what he's talking about, actually what he meant was the covenant with Moses, not Abraham, because that, as we understand, the Abrahamic covenant is the basis of it. He's talking about that covenant. Had ordinances, ordinances of divine service in the earthly sanctuary. Ordinances, literally means anything that's right. And it's speaking to the references of the laws of God. A covenant of God is speaking to everything that's right. And it's in obedience to the laws of the kingdom of God. Now Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, he said, I've come to fulfill it. In him, we can fulfill the law in the righteousness that he imparts to us. He was made sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Christ in you, us in Him. That's how we fulfill the law. But if we're not in Him, guess what? We're exposed to the law. I don't think too many people understand that. You know, it's like what we've been preaching and probably erroneously leading a lot of people astray for a long time is that, you know, the minute you come to the Lord, you have a get out of jail free card, no matter what you do. No matter what you do. Doesn't matter if you're righteous or not. You know, eh, go to church, you know, give up some money. 
bless your food sometimes when you eat, you know. Um, yeah, don't worry about the rest of the stuff. It's okay, you're covered in grace. Jesus took it all for you. But Paul got it because he cried out in one of his letters. In essence, the way it, it, it transposes, he said, stop sinning as if you crucify the Lord again. You see, he understood the eternal dimension. He understood that when Frank received the Lord and then backslid, that the Lord had already covered that in the blood, but that he had to give up blood to do it. He had to take my punishment or else I would have to take it. And then once I came to the revelation and the realization that the fear of the Lord is a real thing, then we decide, I don't wanna impose that on him anymore in the eternal dimension because all things are purged through the eternal spirit. So whether you understand it or not, if you get a timeless mindset, when we sin in the present moment, we're heaping more on Jesus. You say, how could that be? He died once and for all. Yes, but if he didn't die in the eternal dimension, then he didn't die for me because I wasn't born when he went to the cross and went into hell. It had to be eternal. And, and Hebrews got it. Paul got it. And the writer of Hebrews, they got it. They had to extend from the moment into the timeless moment. And this is the message that the body of Christ needs right now. And this is what we need to preach. The timeless mindset, but to understand the fear of the Lord. And yeah, it's grace. It's a wonderful message, but I don't buy one saved, always saved. Because Jesus himself set that straight very quickly. There'll be many who come to me, Lord, Lord, I preached in your name. I healed in your name. Now, he went to the greatest extreme. He went to the biggest ministries. He went to the ones who have the greatest healing ministries, miracles. The ones that are most recognized and what? Glorified. The ones living large. Lord, you know who I am. <laughs> it's me. You saw me. I was on TV every day, Lord. I had healing ministries flying around in my Falcon all over the world. By the way, Lord, remember you helped me get a bigger Falcon? The 35 million one didn't get it. I needed the 65 million. Hey, Lord, you got it for me. Oh. Wow. Jesus was like the children of Israel in the desert who didn't wear out their shoes walking everywhere. But the message went beyond him and still does. The fear of the Lord needs to be preached into the body of the Christ, but first we must be carriers of the fear. And if everything we relate is material, if that's our number one thing, then that's our God. God will bless. And you know what? The prosperity messages and the abundance, I believe in it all. God gives us abundance. But he gives us abundance for a purpose. It's so that we glorify God and we don't lose the fear of the Lord and we can walk in that provision and peace of what God has. Doesn't give us prosperity so that we can begin to worship prosperity. And he doesn't give us grace so that we begin to worship grace. And he doesn't give us the supernatural so that our whole life is supernatural. And he doesn't give us awareness of angels so that everybody's chasing angels. 
and wants another book about angels and wants that person that comes in and says, Ralph, you got four angels around you, son. And, uh, oh, Don, your angel's bigger than Ralph's angel. And I went to heaven last week and I saw you, Pastor, at the table of the apostles. Oh yeah, that, that stuff's going on, beloved. That ridiculous stuff is going on. And guess what? It's ridiculous. It's ignorant. There's nothing for the people of the body of Christ. Doesn't teach them. They can't call upon angels. You can't call upon an angel. If an angel listened to you, they'd be out with Satan. They take their instructions only from the captain of the Lord of hosts. Period. You understand that? Angels are like this in the presence of God because they saw what happened to Satan and the principalities. They got their tails whooped and they're out of heaven. You think they're going to listen to you? Oh. Oh. Come to me right now. Go before me. Part the waters. They're not going to listen to you. They're going to say it's stupid. Just tell Jesus what your prayers are. Declare them. He'll decide who goes and doesn't go. He'll decide if you need one. What if you're asking for one and you need a thousand? Huh? What if you're asking for one that, you know, doesn't know how to do warfare and you need a gladiator? You don't know how to pray for angels. But that's what we teach. We teach the wrong stuff. And then we teach people, if that's not enough, don't worry about it. You're not going to be here as times get dark. And by the way, the time's getting dark. Oh, that's not really it. I, I don't see a 666 number in everybody's head yet. Like, everybody understands the 666. Really? Now, I've heard it's been out for 10 different times in 20 years. The thing in Sweden, this and that. Remember when they came out with the barcodes? That's the 666. We got barcodes. Everything's a barcode. Oh, the app. That's it. That's the 666. You got an app. Everything's the 666. Really? And by the way, don't worry about it. Go, fly away, Lord Jesus, go. Just going to fly away. (laughs) Jesus is going to come right at the fringe of the atmosphere. They got it all figured out. But he's not going to step on the earth because he's only coming to, he's going to come right to the fringe of atmosphere and just rapture everybody away and go back. I don't see that anywhere. I didn't see a two and a half coming Jesus. So now, you know, big ministry, sells lots of books. He's doing a passion play, The Great Disappearance. And oh, he's reinvigorating that because it got a little stale, you know. And you hear me, let's preach the great appearance. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And we need to be ready. We need to become a bride, washed spotless without wrinkle. Now this isn't the shirt that I ironed this morning. I just didn't feel like changing. It looks the same, except this one has the three crowns that Mikkel created on it. And I thought, you know what, Lord? I'm going to come with some wrinkles. Because I still see some wrinkles ironed out on me. Do you? 
You still got some wrinkles? Are you being honest? You see, I, I, ring the, I, I ironed the wrinkles out of my other shirt. It's hanging in my office. Looks good, though. Looks like a Marine did it for inspection. But I did it. I did it with my hands. The wrinkles in our spirit, he needs to cleanse us. He needs to wrinkle them out. And they need to be far beyond what our own abilities are. It needs to be walking in the spirit and the fear of the Lord. To whom much is given, much is required. Let's go on to verse 2. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And that thing we saw, all of that is in the inner court. And they all have meanings and purposes for another time to teach that correlate to what's in the heavenly place, right? All a different time. You could see the curtain between the inner court and the Holy of Holies, and it's all there. It's all there. Another time, just so we understand that the writer in Hebrews was trying to show the crossing of the threshold from what was to what is and what's going to be. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. Otherwise, the holy of holies. No other way to explain the place where God said he would manifest himself from in this little box called the Ark of the Covenant. And you know, as I thought about that, especially in my early days when I was coming out of the law into, into the New Covenant, trying to scratch my head and figure things out. First of all, I couldn't figure out why as Jews we gave everything up, right? I mean, no Ark, no Covenant, no Temple, no sacrifice, no nothing. And what really got me was the one when the rabbi did the teaching out of, you know, I mean, you start in the book of Genesis and you get through the Pentateuch and then you start all over again, which happens on Sim Kator, which is coming up here at the end of the month. And you start all over again. And he was at the part where uh, about halfway through the year, we're in the, the laws of Leviticus. And this particular time he was talking about the laws in, of exchange and the one that you know, if you damage or kill your neighbor's bullock, right? Then you got to get him a new bullock. And it was funny because he was making eye contact with the front of the temple at Rodef Shalom. Elimeth, exactly. This was the, the orth I went to both. It was the Orthodox one. And he was making eye contact. I was way back there. I was in the in the nosebleed section because no guilt, you know what I mean? So the ones there got that. And he's making eye contact with her. I'm like, what's he saying? What's he going to say? And he looks at him, he says, now say, you know, you're in the parking lot with your Cadillac and you bump into somebody and you, you break their bumper. You should get them a new bumper. I said, get them a Cadillac. Number one, I, I barely had a car. I had a water pump that was blowing out and two flat tires. I think, yeah. I don't know, you know, I, I can't get myself a tire, let alone somebody a bumper. But that was the relation of the law. 
And, and that pierced me. I said, Lord, there's more to this than that. How did we stray so far away that we lost the integrity of the law of God? We're a religion, we're a culture. No matter, no one's been able to kill it, scattered all over the earth. I mean, that's, that, that's you, but no obedience to God. What's wrong? And that's what started leading me towards Jesus Christ because I was dissatisfied. That seemed so ridiculous to me that I couldn't accept him anymore as, 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 as a wise rabbi. So you go through the second veil to the holiest of all, which is called the holiest of holies. That's the, that's the right interpretation because there's no other way to explain how holy that is. The holiest of holies. Next. Which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant. The golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant on all sides with gold, and which were the golden pot that had the manna, all of that inside. Aaron's rod that budded in the tablets of the covenant. Have you ever tried to perceive about Aaron's rod that budded? Interesting thing. We're told that Aaron's rod, it played an important part in God's plan to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and into the Promised Land. And in that culture, and even today, we understand that the rod is a symbol of authority, right? Shepherds use rods to, to guide and correct their flocks. And When God called Moses out, we talked about how he stood at the edge of the Red Sea and God said, lift up your rod and reach out your hand. The authority and relying upon the hand of God to move. Nothing's changed. It's just he's equipped us with something better than a stick. <laughs> it's called the name of Jesus. He's called. The authority. Ask what you will in my name and it shall be done here on earth as it is in heaven. The hand of God. We're not ministering our own flesh. We're not even ministering our own faith. What? No, 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 no. That's not extreme faith. That's basic. That's like getting out of bed and getting on your feet if you're able to. That's like getting in your car and turning on the key. Once you're grounded in the Lord and you understand it with the authority and the hand of God, you're just ministering the hand of God all the time, everywhere, anywhere. You don't need extreme faith for that. You need to be not ignorant. Understand who you are and have the authority in the hand of God. And the rod that budded, probably going to end on this because I want to deal with it. Do you remember that when Aaron went in with Moses to Pharaoh, he had his rod? Not Moses. He had his rod. And by the way, that's why God was so upset with Moses when he was worried about getting cornered at the Red Sea because he'd already seen the power of the rod, the power of the authority. Remember when the magicians threw down their rod and they all turned into snakes? Aaron threw down his rod and it ate up all the snakes. A powerful rod. That was the rod. Everything that Moses said, Aaron ministered with the rod, with the authority, the Aaronic priest, the one who was anointed to minister the power of God 
Beloved, we're not beggars. We're not pleaders. We're not supposed to go around ministering the blood of Jesus, which already did everything. In fact, who are we to think that we should be the ones ministering that precious holy blood? Who are we? That's holy. That's the holiest of holies. No. We're the ones that God has given us the authority that in His name every knee must bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's who we are. That's, that's who you are. You have the rod. But your rod is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when we walk in that righteousness and obey Him, we walk with His authority and His power here on earth so that every step you take is perfectly ordered and you have dominion. And that all leads up to saying you're a priest. Aaron was a priest. He had the authority, the power, the anointing. You are priests, but you're also kings. Which means in the hierarchy of things in the kingdom of God, you're operating as a king. And in that king, you can take dominion. Take dominion of your household. Take dominion of your workplace. Take dominion wherever you go. Because you walk with that power. So as kings and priests, we have a double anointing. We can minister to things of God to people and for ourselves. And as a king, we have ultimate kingship authority. We have the rod and we have the hand of God. And so this rod of Aaron, which was displayed for the first time, for the very first time when God set his people free, he crossed a threshold. And the threshold was they were no longer begging and crying out to God and so conforming to being slaves they didn't know how to be anything else after 400 and some years. He crossed the threshold. And Moses and Aaron, I'm sure, went into Pharaoh like this, wondering if it was really going to work because there was no precedence for it. And every time God overcame and every time he showed his glory and every time it was something never seen before on earth, beloved, we're crossing the threshold. And God's going to make us overcomers. And we're going to see things that haven't been seen on the earth before. Don't be afraid about a missile. If there's a missile, come and speak to it and divert it. Tell it to go somewhere else. Tell it to implode. Just this last week, my wife and I experienced an amazing miracle. Amazing. There's, there's no science to explain it. In fact, science said it couldn't happen. We have a very old little home up in Newport Ritchie. Newport Ritchie's not extravagant, it's not fancy, it, it's not a high, <laughs> high place, it's, it's a little home, built in 1960. It's a, it's a little, we love it, we're grateful for it. God gave it to us. And it's the only place that sometimes I get away to and I can lose myself for a day or two and write and do things. I wish I could go more, but I can't. And the hurricane, Cur hurricane that just came, what was the name of it? Huh? Dahlia, what a stupid name, Dahlia. And for a week, Dahlia was coming and they drew the cone and ground zero was our house. Ground zero. Here's the water and here's our house. There ain't no, I mean, that's it. On a high tide, the water's already coming up into our yard all the time. 
we laugh, we look at, oh, bless the Lord, thank you, Jesus. And it's coming. So my wife and I begin to pray. We don't, we don't want to push it on somebody else, but Lord, this is our house. You gave us this. Now, we didn't dedicate it to you, but you gave it to us. So Lord, you know, just, just somehow dissolve that thing. Began to chip a little away, and then the word got worse because they say on the right hand of the storm is the biggest surge. So they came out, so you're gonna have 10 to 12 foot waves. 10 to 12 foot waves, our house is somewhere else. It's over in Cuba. It's like, oh man, we're talking to each other. What do we do? We don't do nothing. What are you gonna do? I have a few paintings in it my mother did, got me from Joe Santora. How many of you knew Joe? Salvatore, wonderful man of God and taken advantage of, and he drew these very priestly uh, uh, images that he got out of the books of the prophets. And he did one, and, and he called it Zechariah, but he put my name on the back of it. He said, ministering the glory, and I'd never talked to him about the glory. Never talked to him about the glory, and he nailed the scripture. And my mom bought it. And so those were hanging in that house. And, she, and we talked about, eh, you know what? It goes away, it goes away. This thing's, what do we care? I said, but those pictures. I can't replace those pictures, so I got a friend to go in there and open the door, get the pictures out and take them inland. I said, okay, Lord. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And we went to peace, but something happened. It nudged up a little further and they said, yeah, well, you're not gonna get 10 to 12, you're gonna get six to 10 on the, on the water surge. And by the way, <laughs> this is like, think about this. This is, this is like, Elijah calling out the prophets of Baal and, and saying, you know, start your fire, put all your stuff in there, dig it deep, pile it up high, throw everything you want on there, put every inflammant you want, call your gods down to start the fire. It's like, oh boy, it's piling on. To pile it on, they said it's going to be what they call the king moon tide at 12 o'clock that day. And by one, it would add on another four feet that was already there, which if it was two or three feet, it's going to take it to six to ten feet. I was thinking, oh boy. 6.30 in the morning, a neighbor sends us something. My friend Grant, a little crazy, an ex-hippie. I think he's still a hippie. I don't know. Grant said, I ain't leaving. But he likes to, you know, kite fly. And I said, Grant, whatever you do, don't go out and fly in that thing, man. And he said, I ain't leaving. He said, you know what, if it's coming, I'll get up on a table. I said, what if the table starts washing away? And he said, I'm just going to get the oar out, brother. We're going to go. He sends us a picture, 630 in the morning. The water's all the way up to just below our step of our door. I said, oh, man, little dock is underwater. And I said, oh, boy. I said, what's it, noon? Not looking good. But then we looked at it a little closer. And, and the news to the north Six-foot waves already, the waves sloshing to the south, down. Six-foot waves already, the water sloshing and slamming into houses. Ours is perfectly steel. It just rose up. And it's like, this doesn't make sense. And then a, a report comes from the rest of Newport Ritchie, two, three feet of water in people's houses. Ours isn't moving. Noon comes. The surge comes. People's houses get worse. Things are going up. A, a friend of ours sends us a picture of her neighbor and they're up to water in their street like this. We get a picture of our street, it's full of water. I said, oh boy, not looking good. And then we get a picture of 
where the water is, our water went down four feet. No waves. Calm. I said, Laura Lee, that's the Lord. She said, yeah. And then she told all the neighbors, they didn't know what to say. I said, we got lucky. And just up the street, I mean, not even a half a mile, a neighbor couldn't get back in their house because the headlights of her car were covered with water up over the engine. You see, as overcomers walking in the Lord, we have authority. We didn't pray harm on anybody else, but we did pray, Lord, preserve it. I said, two reasons, Lord, you gave it to me. I don't think we could replace it, so forget about that. And number two, I don't have the time to deal with this. I can't go down there and deal with this and be doing what you have. I don't have the time, Lord. Now, you know, hey, if you tell me, okay, I got my pictures. And that was it. Not one drop of water in our house. And when the water came up on the street, it stopped two feet from our garage door. You could see it. We have it on video. On video. Aaron's rod. Let's move through it quick because I don't want to start with it again. He used his rod to turn the water of Egypt into blood. He summoned the plagues of frogs and gnats. And then after he took them through, then you had an argument. <laughs> the body of Christ began to argue amongst itself. No, is that something new? The Levites are arguing. And they want to know why their rods and sacrifices aren't working. They want to know why they can't have the same authority Aaron had. Well, maybe first of all, you need to be called. He says we're called. Those who were predestined are called. And then secondly, you need to be obedient, and then you need the anointing. And we have all of that if we want. So they were disgruntled about why did Aaron and Moses become extra authority. And neither of them, by the way, had even been there in slavery with them. They were both from outside the circle. They came from outside. They came from the wilderness. They hadn't suffered with them. And so then you have Korah, right? Remember the Levite? Joined with two others and they incited a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. And Korah tells Moses, basically, who do you think you are? Huh? Having no respect at all for the anointing and touch of God. He says, you've gone too far. He said, he's with all of us. God's with all of us. Why do you think you're the leader? And so he talked the other tribal leaders into join a revolt. And they began muttering against Moses. And the Lord really wanted to wipe them all out, but Moses and Aaron, they stood before God and interceded for him and asked him not to. And so then he sent a plague through them and killed 14,000 of them. But now God was going to deal with it once and for all at that level. And he told Aaron, and Moses, have the leader of each tribe bring his rod or staff to the tent with Aaron's rod. And they all brought him. And of course, Aaron was out of the tribe of Levites, the priests. The Lord told Moses, buds will sprout on the staff belonging to the man I choose. And he finally put an end to the people's murmuring. They all put their rods there. And the next morning, Aaron's rod not only 
sprouted. It brought forth flowers and fruit. A dead stick. A dead stick with no water. That was me. That was you. We were dead, but now we're alive. And we're not just alive to sprout some buds. We're supposed to flower and bear fruit. And God does it out of nothing. He doesn't do it with a big budget and a Falcon airplane. And a, he does it out of nothing. That's the way he likes to do it. So he alone gets the glory. <coughs> and then he said, take Aaron's staff and put it before the Ark of the Covenant to serve as a warning to rebels. If you were to open this up, you should see a little rod in there. It's not budding. It doesn't have fruit and it doesn't have flowers. It's just a symbol of what was. And they put it in the Ark of the Covenant until it disappeared. And the whole time it budded and it brought fruit until the presence of the Lord was no longer in the box. And the temple was destroyed. So when we see that scripture we're ending with about Aaron's rod, he told them what to put inside the box. Now let's flash forward to where we started. All this is is a semblance of what's the heavenly places. Do you remember in Revelation about the 12 trees? Hmm? One for each month. Those little things in those trees. God loves the number 12, doesn't he? 12 trees. And that day's going to come when he's going to minister all those things of those 12 trees to perfect life to all of us. That little stick, that rod, I believe, was a semblance of the 12 trees in Revelation that John saw. He couldn't understand them. And they were in the river of water, walking in the New Jerusalem. The 12 trees from the leaves, from the leaves, from the leaves, bearing fruit and overcoming all things for the power of God. A glimpse of glory. That's what we're getting. It's going to grow. We're going to get more. You're getting an understanding so that when we minister glory, which is what we're called to do in these last days, so the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of glory. Not obey, but have the knowledge. How can we be those who minister the knowledge of the glory unless we have some knowledge? So that's what the Lord's imparting to us. It's not for milk drinkers. They can get there, but it's not foundational. It's beyond that. It's growing and growing and growing with a fresh revelation to the coming of the Lord, who's coming in the glory of the Father as the King of glory. <laughs> wow. Ministering glory. So I would encourage you, if you're just getting on to this and just catching up to it, I'm sure it's available, you know, make this the fifth one in the series, if you want to go back to four, I would suggest start with one, two, three, four, five. There will be a package whenever it's all done. And we're going to transcribe it, and then we're going to put it into our Leaders Institute so that people can get the knowledge of the glory. And you know what I like about it? We're not selling it. <laughs> so somebody can't be hampered because they can't afford it. Some people say, if you don't charge people for something, they don't appreciate it. Well, you know what? Those aren't the people I want then. 
And they're not the ones the Lord wants. You know, hungry people, passionate people. People that say, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to try. I'm going to become an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. The blood's already taken care of it all. Now it's our testimony. It's our testimony. Blood's first step, testimony second step. Overcomer. I think you'll recall two years I did a multi-series on the makings of an overcomer. It's all piecing together. I didn't sit back with some grand plan. I just tried to obey what I received and dig into it and do the best I could with it. And all of a sudden it's folding out into a whole institute. I said, wow, wow. I go back and read some of that and I'm like amazed because it comes from the Spirit of God. I said, wow, look at that. And then the pieces all fit together. So you be blessed. You have a good week. Thank you for tolerating me. And uh, a friend of mine reminded me on the phone, he's an 82-year-old guy out of Georgia, and uh, with my prayers, and his prayers, but with my prayers, he's at the glory of God. He's had three miracles from being kept out of prison and, and totally put back together to having um, healed of cancer twice. And so he was telling me, well, I was praying for him with something that he asked me to pray for him with. He said, you know what, brother? <laughs> this was where I got this. I've shared it with you many times. His daddy used to tell him this. He used to say, pray for me. I need the prayers and you need to practice. So pray for me. I'll take the prayers. I'm sure you don't need to practice, but just sneak me in there with you and I'll sneak you into mine. Father, thank you for all that you've done. Be blessed, O oh Lord. Thank you for the word of the Lord. Thank you, Father, that we're humble enough to say we, it's hard for us to grasp this whole mystery, but we know it's you and you've put it within reach of us, Father. So we're going to keep pressing on. We're going to press forward. We're going to press onward. We're going to dig deep. We're going to ask deep to come to deep. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna end up seeking revelation on this, Father, and we're not going to give up. And Lord, we believe that you're going to use us mightily in these days that are forthcoming to, to be a kind that brings forth our own kind, your kind, the kind that you're bringing forth in humility and obedience and the fear of the Lord in this last day, not looking backwards, but living in the moment with a timeless mindset for the future. Jesus, the book of Revelation ends and says, Lord, come quickly. I don't know what quickly is, Lord, in your eternal time set, but Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord. Lord, so be it. Come, Lord Jesus, and prepare your bride. Prepare us, Father. Let us be worthy. And most of all, let us glorify you and serve you with what we have. Let us freely give it, Lord. Be blessed, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.